You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you will, stand with me for just a minute, and then you can sit down the rest of the time today, okay? Promise. Well, I don't know. If the Spirit tells you to get up and move, you better move. But anyway, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, notice this. This passage is filled with the supernatural. So if you're one of those people who struggles with uh, spiritual happenings, then let this text just grab you because I want you to know the Bible teaches very clearly that God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. God doesn't always operate in the way that we think he should. He just operates. And sometimes he wants to operate on us. I pray that will happen to you today. Listen to this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Already that's a, a different kind of day. An angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, let me just let you know, that's Isaiah 53. That is the most Christocentric, messianic passage in the whole Old Testament, and it just so happened that that's what this guy was reading when Philip shows up. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, he had some other scriptures too. We just don't know what they were. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. Now, keep in mind, where are we at? We're in the desert. So water was handy. God is at work. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. By the way, into the water means uh, plunging underneath. That means uh, immersion. I'm a Baptist. Just want you to know that. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, I want to show you something there at the end of the text. He baptizes the eunuch, Philip does, and then he is carried 20 miles north to Azotus. That is the way the text reads. There's no getting around it. God took him from one place and put him in another place. This story begins with miracles and ends with miracles and has miracles in between. So here's what I think. Jesus could work a miracle in your heart today, and the question again is, are you brave enough to say yes? Heavenly Father, let no cowardice be in this room. Let no fear have any place in this place. And let our hearts hear clearly what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last night, I was kind of excited. I saw in my Facebook feed that the Kansas City Chiefs were playing 
in a preseason game. My son says, well, that's boring. Preseason's terrible. I was like, hey, listen, I haven't watched football in a while. It's one of my guilty pleasures. I'm going to watch it. So I go upstairs. I'm getting ready to watch some football, and I'm about 10 or 15 minutes early. So I did something I don't normally do. I, I brought up Netflix to see what was on there. Wow, what a bunch of garbage. But anyway, as I was going through... I saw Titanic, and you know how Netflix is. If you click on something or if you, put the, you know, if, you, if you highlight something, you get a little vignette, right? You get the little two- or three-minute thing. And so they just happened to have that vignette where they've just hit the iceberg. By the way, the Titanic sinks. I don't want to ruin it for you, but that's what happens. And, and they just found out, and the guy says, it is a mathematical certainty that this ship is going to sink. Now, he says that to the captain. The captain looks to, the, to his, his uh, first mate, his first in charge, his first officer, and says this. How many souls are on board? That's what I saw. I saw this little bitty piece from the movie Titanic. There's this moment where they know the ship is going down, and he asks the question, how many people? But the answer is 2,200-odd souls. That got my attention. Because if you think about it, when we think about a human life, when we're, when we're worried about losing human life, often we won't use the word life. We will use the word souls. Because there's something about that word. Something about that word reminds us that we are not just uh, flesh and bone, muscles and blood and all of those things that make us biologically human, but we are something more. There is this spirit within us and that is what we call a soul. I was talking to a man. We have a person here in our church who uh, was a, a captain on a boat in the Navy, uh, which is a really cool thing. Uh, but he told me that in the Navy, even today, when they talk and they come to the captain, they ask him about how many are on his ship. He has to answer in how many souls are on board. I found that fascinating. Because they understand that captain is responsible not just for life in some general sense, but is responsible for souls. I believe that you have a soul that is either going to spend eternity with Jesus or apart from Jesus. And I want you to know that God has gone through some pretty extraordinary links so that you can discover him, know God, know his son, and live forever with him. This text is remark remarkable. It's not just remarkable because an Ethiopian eunuch, and that's its own thing, that's crazy. This guy from far away, he, he's a, a guy that is a man of power and prestige and influence there in that African kingdom. It's an amazing story, but it's not just about the amazing conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. It's about the amazing faithfulness of a guy named Philip. What we see here is, is that God is working on both ends of the equation. So we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. We hope and pray and are crying out to God for 8,400 gospel conversations. That's seven gospel conversations each one of us need to have in the next 15 months. And I want you to know, if you are going to be used of God, that's a great thing. But God is also working on the other side of the equation. If you will say yes to Jesus and be faithful in sharing the gospel, let me tell you something. God is already at work in those seven individuals that you'll talk to in the next 15 plus months. He is already working. This passage shows that when we say yes to Jesus, what we discover is that he's already been moving. God moves in a big way in this passage, but he moves through the hearts that are prepared, willing, and faithful. Philip is prepared, he is willing, and he is faithful. Oh, friends, know this. You say yes to Jesus, and he'll show you all that he has been doing. 
In this passage, we see really the beginning of one-on-one evangelism in the book of Acts. Up until this point, the evangelism has been more en masse. It's been more thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Think Acts 2, Acts 5, if memory serves. We see big movements of the Spirit, and that's great. But I want you to realize that starting here and moving forward, it's really more about one-on-one evangelism, people being faithful where God has placed them and sharing Jesus wherever they go. That's what we are called to do. Not all of us in this room are called to stand on a platform and preach to a bunch of people. Some of us are called to do that. That's fine. But all of us are called to be a faithful witness wherever God takes us. Philip is an example of that. It is remarkable. It is about being in the moment. It's about being an evangelist. Each one of you can be an evangelist, being on mission, being involved in the work of God on a global scale, not just locally. Yes, if you are faithful, sharing your faith in this area, in this town of Springfield, I want you to know God will open up doors for you to reach people around the world. We see that in the text. We see at least two big areas of influence that Philip was given just by being faithful in this moment. So today what I want to do is I just want to ask you a few questions. I've already asked the one big question, which is this. Are you willing to say yes to Jesus? But hear this. Do you want to know God? That's the first question we're going to look at today. The second is, do you want to serve God? And the third is, will you let the Spirit work? Those are three questions, and they're aimed at different audiences. The first audience, of course, would be more in line with the Ethiopian eunuch, and that is someone who is maybe seeking, uh, maybe asking questions about God. If you are in that boat, here's the question. Do you want to know God? I can tell you from experience that getting to church is sometimes a big deal. Um, I know that growing up, I saw how hard it was sometimes for mom to get my sister and I ready for church. You who are moms know this best. Uh, if the car is going to have trouble, it's Sunday morning. If the kids are acting fools like fools, what ain't going to happen? Sunday morning. If anything's going to go wrong with breakfast, it's Sunday morning. I'm telling you, there is all kinds of demonic activity Sunday morning from about 6 a.m. to church time. I'm telling you. Okay? It's hard sometimes to get to church, but here's the deal. For the Ethiopian eunuch, he had a harder time getting to church than you do. Now, we think uh, where he was, we don't know exactly. It says Ethiopia, but that word is more modern. Um, it, it really represents an area of Sudan, Ethiopia, that, that part of northern Africa, and I've been in that general region. It is an out-of-the-way kind of place. Here's the deal. It took five months for the Ethiopian eunuch to get from that particular part of Africa to Jerusalem. That's a long drive to church. He went five months because he was curious about God. It is evident that he was trying to learn more about Yahweh. It is very clear in the text. And also, just so you know, the history shows that there had been Judaism in that part of Africa probably as early as the 8th century B.C. There are archaeological uh, uh, finds, altars and certain um, uh, dwellings that match the, the kind of temple structures we see described in the early part of the Old Testament. So here's the deal. There had been knowledge of Yahweh in this area for a long time, like seven, 800 years. This guy is coming from a past where there was a lot of connection with even the scriptures and the knowledge of God, but he wanted to know more. While he was in Jerusalem, we think it took him five months to get there. He probably at least stayed two months and then five months to get back. And if my math is correct, that's a year. He took a year out of his life to come. Can you imagine the expense of traveling for an entire year? Whose boss lets them go away for a year? He must have been a pretty good employee. 
But he's gone for all this time. He's spending all this money. And we also find out in verse 28 that he bought an Isaiah scroll. That doesn't seem like much of a big deal, but it is a big deal because the Isaiah scroll, if he bought one, it would have been hand-printed. And we know from those that are, still exist, most of them from the Dead Sea Scrolls, by the way, there were 21 Isaiah scrolls and multiple commentaries on Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we know that these scrolls were approximately 145 feet long. The book of Isaiah is a big book. It would have been 145 feet in, in length. I'm going to tell you that Isaiah scroll costs more than the whole trip. So this is a guy who was willing to spend money to travel to Jerusalem, spend more money to get an important biblical text so that he could have it. This guy is serious about God. And I want you to know, if a person, I don't care who they are, what culture they come from, if they want to know God, it is amazing to me, miraculously or otherwise, God always finds them. If you are here today and you would say, yes, I am interested in knowing more about God and his son Jesus, guess what? God will show up for you too. That's what we see in this text. A man who is curious, he's come, and what's driving him is his Judaism. He is leaving and going home, and he's starting to ask questions. Is there something going on in this text? Is there something I missed? And the answer is yes, he had missed Jesus. But Philip wasn't going to let him miss Jesus. Friends, when I think about all the reasons we have for not going to church the Ethiopian eunuch blows every one of them away. Here is a guy who has every reason not to go to Jerusalem. Do you realize his eunuch status actually causes him to be defiled? He couldn't even go into the inner sanctum. The, the Jewish people wouldn't even let him into the inner sanctum because of his physical condition. I mean, there is no reason for him to want so bad to know God, but he does. There is something in his heart. The Holy Spirit is at work. If a person is genuinely interested in the things of God, I'm telling you, God shows up. He shows up. I think about all the people who show up to this room every week on Sunday. How many people have this sort of drive? How many of you really want to know more about God? How many of you are just coming because someone, a parent or Maybe a friend or a loved one, a spouse, sort of forces the issue. I mean, if you had your way this morning, that alarm, uh, you'd hit it again and again and again, and you wouldn't be here. Let me just say this. Is it possible we know so little about God and have experienced him so infrequently because of spiritual laziness? I believe that if you are spiritually hungry, there's no fault here but your own. And I believe that spiritual laziness is not only keeping people from Jesus, it's, pe it's keeping people who, who say and claim they know Jesus from really growing in Jesus. We're lazy. We're not in the Word. We're not in prayer. We're not devoted to a, a small group. I'm going to tell you, you need a small group. You need community and fellowship. If you're not doing those things, let me say this. I'm not trying to be mean, but you're being lazy. You're putting other things ahead of the priority. You don't see what you don't see. And what you don't see are the spiritual realities. You need to be fed. You need to be encouraged. You need to be loved. And you need that more than just a few minutes here with me. I mean, I love you. I'm glad you're here. I hope you come back. But I'm telling you, you can have a deeper, richer walk if you have community. You need that. I think spiritual laziness keeps us not only in the bed on Sunday morning, but it keeps us from talking to our neighbor on Tuesday afternoon. I think it keeps us from that Bible study. I think it keeps us from devotion to prayer. I'm telling you, it's spiritual laziness. You don't see it in the Ethiopian eunuch. This man is going to the ends of the earth, literally. 
And God shows up in a big way. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll get serious about God, God's going to show up in your life in a big way too. Do you want to know God? Do you? Then quit being lazy and seek him with all your heart. Secondly, do you want to serve God? Let me switch gears. We're going now, a question that was aimed at those who are not yet Christ followers. Let's look at this question, which is aimed at Christ followers. Do you want to serve God? Let me take you to Psalm 119. David says this. He asks of the Lord, actually, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Let me just begin here because if you want to serve God, you need to have discipline. Notice the phrase, keep steady. You need to continue to seek God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Notice my steps according to your promise. Well, the promise, as we know in Psalm 119, is the word of God. You need to have the word of God. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. In other words, you need to strive for a holy life. So it's like this. If we want to serve God, we need to be disciplined enough to seek him. We need to seek him in the word. We need to seek holiness, that is, obedience to the scriptures. And let me add, all this is only only possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, Philip's walk with Jesus was steady. And God makes sure by the way of an angel. Notice that in verses 26 and 29. Like he had an angel as his guide, getting him to the right place. He had a steady walk and therefore God was working with him. Verse 27 says that he rose and went. When God said go, he went. In fact, it even says he ran. Here is a man who is ready and willing and primed for a gospel conversation that he has in verses 27 through 34. Who was Philip? Was he the star student in his seminary class? Who was Philip? Was he the most uh, sanctimonious and sanctified religious leader in Jerusalem before Jesus came there? No and no. We don't know anything about him. It seems like he was probably just a poor person from Jerusalem with very few worldly goods. But he was a person who, when Jesus got a hold of him, he was faithful. He was one of those people who said yes to Jesus. And you could too today. These two men, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, the deacon, uh, these are two different men. The Ethiopian eunuch was a man of wealth and privilege and power. He was on the inside of government there in Africa. Listen, when you count the nickels and dimes, the presidents and the kings and queens care what you have to say. You are an important guy when you are the treasurer for the queen, Candace, as we are told here. This guy was important. He was rich. He was wealthy. He could do a one-year trip. He could afford 145 feet of an Isaiah scroll. This is a guy who has money. Philip doesn't have money, but he has Jesus. And these two people are on a collision course. We see an intersection with someone asking legitimate questions about God and someone else who has legitimate answers about God. I'm here to tell you, as we share our, our faith seven times, which uh, multiplied throughout means 8,400 times, the deal is you need to be prepared. And I love that. If we want to serve God, we can trust that he will connect us with those who want to know God. If you say yes to Jesus in terms of sharing, then I want you to know there are others right now saying yes to Jesus in terms of searching. You hear me? There are others that are saying yes to searching, and if you will say yes to sharing, look what happens. The search and the share collide. And it collides with your faithfulness. I love how the Holy Spirit nudges Philip to go over and join the chariot. He literally jumps up in this guy's stretched limo. I love how he ran to the Ethiopian. He didn't walk, he ran. I love 
how God orchestrated it that this man would be in Isaiah 53 of all places. And I love that Philip knew the word of God well enough to explain that this was about Jesus. I love everything about this passage because it shows how God is at work and how those who want to serve God must prepare their hearts for these divine appointments in their lives. And we could talk about having seven gospel conversations all day long, but are you ready? If you're a businessman and you run an office and you've got a big meeting coming up, you prepare. Students, you're going to have tests and such this week. And when you have a big test coming up, you're going to prepare. I hope you're going to prepare. You better prepare. Zach, you better prepare. Yes. We need to get ready. We know we need to get ready and prepare. So let me just say this. If we are serious about saying yes to Jesus and sharing our faith, shouldn't we be ready to reach? And the next few months, that's, the, that's something you need to be looking for, that phrase, ready to reach. We are going to be providing as a staff opportunities for you to get ready to reach. That's going to be in some of the preaching I do on conversion starting on September 17th and moving forward. We're going to have discipleship groups that meet on Wednesday nights and other places and other times so that you can learn how to share your faith. We're going to see opportunities to learn more about evangelism and sharing our faith in our small groups. Every single part of our church, if there is any question you have about what it takes to share the gospel, we want you to get ready ready to reach because it should be something we're preparing for we are not saying just go out there and walk out down the street and hope for the best but we're saying pray prepare your heart learn what it means to share the gospel what what conversion is which is what i'll be talking about from the pulpit how god works in human hearts how god works uh, to save us learn these things and share you know god's going to do the saving but he sure would like to use you in the process Say yes to him. Say yes. Are you preparing for those seven divine appointments? I think Philip was prepared. And so when that intersection with the Ethiopian eunuch took place, somebody got saved. The third question is really for all of us. Will you let the Spirit work? Salvation will happen. You'll say Jesus is Lord because the Spirit leads you. And it is only when we say yes to the call of ministry the gifts that God has given you to serve in the church, we have to say yes. We have to stop using those gifts for any selfish gain, but we give those gifts to the Lord. You know, the book of Acts is really not about the apostles' actions. It's about the actions of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. We've been saying that. He is the main character of the book, and he is the main character in your life too. If you are a Christ follower, you are empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, which is what we call the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that all things can happen. Now, let's talk about just a minute what's going on in this story because it's amazing and I've been going fast. So Ethiopia, I told you, we really don't know where it was. We just know it's roughly in that area of where Kenya is, Ethiopia, Sudan, somewhere generally in that large area, Uganda. It's a big area. And some of us have been there recently. I know, Randy, you guys have been there and, and several of us have been there. And it does feel like, and this is just me, man, when you're in that part of the world, you feel like you're at the end of the world. It's just, there's nothing like it. I don't know how to explain it. It is way out there. So keep in mind that that's where this person is from. But God had been talking about this for a long time. In fact, if you have some time later today, go read the book of Zephaniah, which I know you typically do on a Sunday afternoon. But the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, in particular, verses 9 and 10, there's a hint there that God was already at work in this part of the world. I've already told you that, that I think that there had been the Jewish faith there all the way back to almost the time of David. That's how far back that goes. 
When I say 8th century, we're, getting, we're knocking on the door of a generation or two from David. So they had known about it. But here's what Zephaniah is saying. That God is going to do a great work and a great revival in this area. So the prophet is predicting exactly what happened because Philip shared with the Ethiopian eunuch. And there is strong archaeological evidence to show that this church in Ethiopia is one of the longest, maybe the oldest, continuously meeting church in the world. That the Christians in Ethiopia, I believe, go all the way back to here. This is the launching of a great work of God that was for many generations all the way to our generation of people following Jesus. This is an incredible story. And it's a story because Zephaniah is talking about the end of the earth. God is reaching to the ends of the earth in the early chapters of Acts. No one will escape the notice of God and the salvation of God. When God spoke, Philip moved immediately. And one of the reasons why he ran so quick is because somehow deep, down deep in his heart, he knew that the Ethiopian eunuch was re reading Isaiah 53. He was there right when a question was asked about who is the prophet talking about? Somebody in that day or someone yet to come? And then Philip says, I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me tell you about Jesus. And with other scriptures prove that Jesus was the Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Man, that's good stuff. But I'll take it one further. I told you that the end of the story is unusual because it's not normal that you share Jesus and the next thing you know, you're 20 miles somewhere else. Now, it's an incredible story. They found water. So by the way, I don't, I don't remember exactly where it is, but there's only a couple places where there's even enough water to baptize in this part of the desert. So when you go to Israel, this is one of those places that they can pretty well say, this is where this happened. It, there, there's pretty good evidence just from this because water was so scarce in this part of the wilderness. So it's a really interesting thing, which also makes the story so historically accurate. But here's the deal. So he's baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, and then just like that, he's in Azotus. Now, where is Azotus? Well, I don't know for sure, but I know it's about 20 miles from where this location is thought to be. 20 miles, and he's moved in that direction. Phenomenal, fantastic. But here's what's really crazy. When we get to the end of the book of Acts, guess who is still in that area? Philip is still preaching the gospel in Azotus and Caesarea. He is still in that area. Now, this is amazing to me because God moves him like in an instant and then tells him to just set up camp and stay there for 20 years. God moves him quick, but plants him there for a long time. And you say, well, what's the big deal about Azotus? Well, there isn't much to say about Azotus except for this. We know, again, from the history of the Roman Empire, that Azotus was where one of the largest contingents of Roman legionnaires was. In fact, we know that many of the ruling elite, they had to serve their time there. So the patricians of Rome, their sons would have been in Azotus. They would have heard the gospel from Philip. And we also know from the book of Romans and other places that there was a strong Christian church very early in Rome. So notice this. Philip was used by God to help plant the church in the far off place called Ethiopia. And then the next minute, he's helping plant a church in Rome, which is in the center of the world, in the biggest city in the Western world. One man said yes to Jesus. And not only was he able through that one moment of faithfulness to reach to the far ends of Africa, but he was able to reach the largest city in the world. 
God was able to take one man's faithfulness in one moment and single-handedly almost fulfill the Great Commission. I don't think that anything has changed. I think if you and I are strong enough and faithful enough and loving enough to say yes to Jesus, we may just find ourselves in Africa in the middle of a revival. If we are faithful to Jesus, though, let me tell you what else could happen. We might find ourselves in New York City or Chicago or L.A. in the middle of a revival. Some people think that God's only reaching the ends of the earth today. The church is growing the fastest in places like Africa, places like South Asia. I'm going to tell you, when I was in South Asia, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw hunger in the eyes of preachers and leaders like I don't see in America. People there are hungry to share Jesus. We tend to think that that's where the action is. But I want to tell you, if we'll be faithful and say yes to Jesus, we'll start seeing a revival in places like New York City, Chicago, L.A., Houston, the big cities of our land, the Parises, not Tennessee, but France. Have you ever been to Paris, Tennessee? Catfish capital right there, really awesome place. Um, London, Moscow, wherever. God is not limited by geography. If we say yes to Jesus, it isn't about how far it is. God can lift you up and put you not 20 miles, but 2,000 miles away if he wants. You are unstoppable if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, will you say yes to Jesus? If the Spirit says to you this morning, Jesus is Lord, will you receive him? If today you know that you do not have him as your Savior, please, please, please cry out to Jesus. He will save you from your sins and save you from a place called hell. Secondly, if the Spirit is calling you to have a gospel conversation with a neighbor, will you go? When you're walking the dog or when you're just out there, maybe having a walk, Will you be faithful if Jesus calls you to share? Will you say yes to Jesus? If the Spirit is calling you to go on mission to Africa, Italy, Thailand, will you go? Now, I mentioned those three places because those are three places that we do serve, but we desperately need more and more leaders and, and ministers in those areas. We are not meeting all the needs we have just in our missions department, just our commitments that we have. We should be doing more. Friends, it's not enough to come here and passively uh, bide your time most of you, you come in on Sundays, I know, I get it, you're just waiting, you're just trying to wait me out. I, went, I just went six seconds under, oh man, are you okay? Some of you watch that too much too. I'm going to get rid of that clock because you don't need to see that. I can go as long as I want. But my wife told me that if I do that, she won't come no more, so we won't go as long as we want. <laughs> I want you to know, I love you. I want to see God move, but I don't want you to be a passive Christian. Aren't you tired of just sitting in that seat? Aren't you tired of letting all the blessings go to someone else? If you'll say yes to Jesus, I'm going to tell you, the intersection will happen. God will put you in the right place at the right time. Start preparing your heart. Start reading the scriptures. Start praying for God to give you that individual that you alone can reach. Know, know this. There are some things, what, a book you've read or what, a movie you've watched, some silly thing that's happened in your life that makes you the unique person that could reach that unique person. Just be faithful. The problem is you've not said yes yet. There there are people out there that will come to know Jesus because of your faithful witness, but not until you say yes. Say yes to Jesus this morning. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.